Depends on what we did last time on the B cast. Next time on Dragon Ball B. <laughs> <laughs> so I think this is a uh, episode seventeen. Seventeen. Woohoo! Yay! Yay! Welcome back to B cast episode seventeen. I'm Valeria. I'm Mike. I'm Joy. Joy is my sister, and she's smarter than me. She's um, smarter than many. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, no, she's she's a cool lady, and. We uh, thought that since she's down for the, the holiday where people eat dead birds... Um, bird flu day. Yeah, bird flu day, that we would get her down and, uh, you know, sit her down and do a podcast with her. Yeah. She's kind enough to let us uh, totally crash at her house for Dragon Con. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, it's the least we could do. Yes, I'm the reason that you guys know about Dragon Con, actually. Yes. Right? She's yeah. a goddess. <laughs> goddess of nerdiness. Mm-hmm. I try, I try. We just did Clerks. That I mean, we just watched Clerks. I guess we're about to do Clerks as our episode. I would not do Clerks, dude. He's done 12 ladies already. <laughs> That's not, not like as bad that as 37 many. that she did. She only sucked their dicks. Th- yeah. It's different. You know what? I've had this conversation with somebody in real life recently, and as far <laughs> as I'm concerned, sucking a dick is everywhere, like... Like that's almost worst in my book. Worst, worst in my book. Like you know, because there's like a lot less protection involved. Yeah, she put it in her mouth. In in oral sex than there is in. You know that's one of the ways sex. that Kenny that Kenny died. Oh yeah. Yeah. Took his girlfriend <laughs> to see um, the Jonas Brothers. Mm-hmm. She went down on him, and then he caught syphilis. Yeah. And he died. So. You know, as with everything in life, we can take our lessons from South Park. Oral sex is dangerous, and it counts. I mean, if nothing else, that's what Bill Clinton taught us, right? No, Bill Clinton taught us that it didn't count. Well, that's what he tried to teach us. (laughs) Well, I think that could go into another theme of clerks, turning things around, right? (laughs) You know? Clinton tried to turn around all of the stuff about his scandal. Clerks, every time, er every... Five seconds in that movie, somebody's taking something and trying to turn it around on someone else. Yeah. Yeah. Playing the blame game. I don't know, maybe it's the failing to turn things around. Or well, well, I, I don't know <laughs> if you would call it playing the blame game so much as playing the spin game, you know? Playing yeah. that they're blaming it on someone else. <laughs> Somehow it's Dante's fault and not my fault. Yes, yes, <laughs> Dante's fault. Um, so yeah, if you've not seen Clerks... Stop listening right now. Because we're going to spoiler the hell out of it because it's definitely over 10 years old. We watched the 10-year anniversary DVD, which came out 10 years ago. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Joy pointed out that in 2013, next year, it will be 20 years old. So I was like, it's time for a, you know, 20-year anniversary edition. But even more so... If you haven't watched Clerks, you need to stop listening now because you need to watch Clerks. Yeah. You really need to reevaluate your life. I think everyone should watch Clerks at least once and pay attention to it. 
Because I know a lot of sorry sacks, just like Dante, that need mm-hmm. to fucking take responsibility for their own lives. Yeah. Well, um, honest to God, Clerks is one of my all-time favorite movies. Uh, it's affected me in many, many ways. First of all, the very first podcast I ever listened to, which obviously eventually uh, got me to record this one, was Kevin Smith's podcast. Uh, and Clerks was the first movie that I watched that really got me into being like a movie geek. Like, you know, everybody watches movies. But there's like a, there's something in your life that makes you realize that you want to like seek out strange and wonderful films and you know, put real time into watching stuff that's more interesting than just, like, yeah, boy meets girl. More interesting than Navy Seals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, so, I mean, Clerks is just, oh, it, it was one of the just most influential films in my life when I was, like, young, and I love it to this day. Was it your first Kevin Smith movie? Um, it was my first Kevin Smith movie. Uh, for a while, I thought it was the only one he did. I, I didn't know. At, it would be a while before I figured out it was a Kevin Smith movie. Mm. At the time, it was uh, it was just the awesome Clerks movie. And then later I came into Mallrats, and I realized that it was one of the trilogy of the Jay and Silent Bob movies. And Jay and Silent Bob was a trilogy? I thought they were in all of them. Yeah, they are, but there was only three by the time I discovered that. Oh, there were only three then? Yeah, I was, I was able to catch Dogma and On Forward in the theaters, so, but, um, yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that Kevin Smith, uh, produced Good Will Hunting. Yeah, yeah, um, well, Ben Affleck wasn't really anywhere near as big as he is now. When he wrote that, so Kevin Smith actually had some some clout. <laughs> so I, I might show some ignorance here, but isn't it sort of a thing for Silent Bob to say like one movie in each film, even though he's silent? Oh, yeah, we saw that in this one, didn't we? Yeah, we did. He didn't say something. Uh, I must have just missed it. The one line I was. He was not paying like, attention when he said it. She dinner for you. What's wrong with you? It's, it's like, yeah, it's near the end where Jay's and Bob are in the store. And, and Dante's like, you can't roll a joint in here. And Jay's all like, just relax, dude. <laughs> but, yes, yeah, the, the line's, uh, you know, there's a million fine women in the world. But they don't all bring you uh, lunch lasagna at work. Most of them just cheat on you. That's <laughs> his line. Um, and, you know. And he was like... Oh, it's true. I love her. <laughs> yeah. So, my first uh, Kevin Smith movie was Mallrats. Nice. I remember staying the night at my friend's house in, like, third grade. No, had to be after that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, had to be fifth grade because it came out in 95, and that's when I was in fifth grade. So. What about you, Joy? I know you got into Kevin Smith, and I don't think I was the instrument of that. No, I think you were, actually. Really? I... I think I was just kind of aware of it in the background because you talked about it a lot and mm-hmm. eventually, I don't even remember which one I saw first to be honest, I think I was just aware of all of them and had seen bits of them. So I don't really know which one I saw, like, first. Well, I just remember <laughs> it was like, uh, it was, we were still living together when I started getting into this stuff and it was this weird kind of transitional type period where you were like really into Christian stuff <laughs> and I was not and like we were like I was being the bratty little brother we didn't really get to be good friends until you kind of moved out of the house um did your own thing elsewhere uh you know we 
Well, I mean, I guess we were still kind of friends. We would bond over Star Trek shit. And yeah, it just we drove me nuts geekiness. when you did all your ICP makeup in the bathroom and left water all over the countertops. Yeah, yeah, see? Yeah. <laughs> Things you learned, so... <laughs> But, yeah, no, I know you're, uh... So, I, I do have to take this opportunity to mention that, you know, my brother has always owned more pink things and more makeup <laughs> than I do. Yeah. And half the time has longer hair, so... Yeah. Hey, you know, at least now you know what it's like to have a little sister. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, yeah, we, we kind my of... little broster. Yeah. We kind of did the, the opposite <laughs> thing. Like, my big sis here, she was into ROTC, she, uh... I've said it before. You're you're more of a man than I'll ever be. I know. <laughs> We've got some gender confusion issues. Yeah, yeah. But you know, all things considered, I think we turned out okay, the both of us. Yeah, yeah. But um. <laughs> but yeah, no. Um. Just a good movie. Kevin Smith. He's one of my heroes. There's a. I like the names for the characters that don't have actual names like William the Idiot Manchild and Angry Hockey Playing Customer. Yeah, well, I, they say William the Idiot Manchild, but his character name is actually Willem Black, and they even say that in the movie, but that is exactly how it looked in the credits, too. Nice. Um, and then there's Woolen Cap Smoker, Eggman, Offended <laughs> Customer, Cat Admiring, Bitter Customer. Yeah. <laughs> Walt Flanagan played about five roles in this movie. Um, and if you watch comic book men these days, Walt Flanagan is the proprietor of the Jan and Bob Secret Stash comic book store of that, you know. He designs and draws artwork for local heavy metal and death metal bands. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, he also does uh, comic stuff. Like, he's the most uh, straight-laced guy in the world, but if you'll see his artwork, he does, like, really demonic-looking stuff. Uh, yeah, Walt, Walt's an interesting guy, but, um, Hunting Cap Smoking Boy, Low IQ Video Customer, Hubcap Searching Customer, Yeah, Angry Mourner, Angry Crowd at Door. So watching it, uh, we decided to watch the, uh, the original cut, the one that they made before it got the whole theatrical treatment. Um, it had some little uh, deleted scenes still in there. Like, one of the things that really stuck with me is there's a slight scene where Randall comes into the quick stop. He's talking to Dante, and he says, uh, he says, uh, is the pelican flying? He's like, uh, I don't remember what Dante says, but at some point he's like, oh, don't mess with it. It makes us look guilty or something, like, look shady or something like that. And then Randall goes around and he turns off the security camera. And, you know, that's one little thing that they cut from the movie. Um, and I thought it added an interesting, just a little, kind of a spin to it. You know, nothing major, but it's just one of those small things. Um, and, you know, the music was different a lot of different places because they didn't have their big record. Well, not their well, big... they didn't, like, finish the sound at that point. I think he was saying that in the intro before we watched it. This is before all the post-sound editing. Well, no, no, it wasn't before the post-sound editing. It's that um, when they got picked up by Miramax, mm -hmm. they were able to throw in, like, more commercial music. Ah. And that's what they were saying. Like, there's a... During the Star Wars discussion, uh, in the theatrical cut, there's a song called uh, Chewbacca. 
<laughs> um, and you you can hear it like it's just in the background. They're talking about Star Wars, and the, the song's like Chewbacca, what a Wookiee! It's an amazing little song. Uh, Chewbacca lives in it does not make sense. But, like, you know, that wasn't in this cut of the movie, and there's just, like, some of the music that was, like, uh, Soul Asylum wasn't in there. And Yeah, you know another thing where the music got changed? The Daria, Daria films. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Well, see, this is what doesn't make sense. I mean, this is kind of an aside, I suppose, but, you know, Daria was an MTV production, so they always had... <laughs> You know, little clips of whatever mo- whatever songs were popular and the mm-hmm. Daria episodes. And then they took forever to release Daria on DVD. And I realized, I found out like from reading on the internet or something, that the reason it took so long to get it on DVD is they couldn't figure out what to do about the music. Because they had to have permission from every single artist. And half of them were one-hit wonders that like don't exist anymore. And mm-hmm. So they ended up like putting in generic clips in the DVD release thing, which have nothing to do with the songs that were originally part of Daria, which is kind of sad. This is kind of sad. Daria was awesome. This is one of the many reasons where I will gladly say that piracy is a great thing. <laughs> uh, they did the same thing to Beavis and Butthead. Uh, they couldn't get all the rights for the many, many music clips and music videos that they used back in the day. And so when they release them on DVD, they cut out music videos. They don't even do the music video thing on the DVD segments themselves because they couldn't get the rights for enough of them. And it's like, for something that had that much music in it from the get-go, it's kind of, you know, you're you're neutering it. It really is kind of disgusting to take the music out and put it with something else, I think. Um, so that kind of gives, that kind of leads into the question for this clerks here. Do you think that, uh... That it was better here in this original cut before they had the the Miramax pickup, or uh, do you like the the final version better? Did they sell out by going <laughs> to Miramax, or uh, did that get an improvement? Well, I mean, <laughs> I think it technically is selling out to go to Miramax, not selling out like whatever, but they sold their movie and they re. Um, no, like yeah, but you know, they sold their movie and they were able to make so many more. Yeah. Um. No, I don't think they sold out. I like Clerks as it is theatrical. The the only reason that this uncut edition is in our hands is because it this was the Clerks 10th anniver- uh, anniversary edition DVD, and it came with the theatrical cut, and it came with the original VHS cut that they were shopping around. And The VHS cut had a kind of an interesting thing to it, like, uh, like I was just watching the ending where Dante gets shot, and, like, I kind of saw where it was kind of like a, um... Hey, Galaxy's home. Like, it kind of worked as this thing where it's like Dante was having, like, maybe the worst day of his life. Like, his... He loses his girlfriend. He's trying to get back with his ex-girlfriend, but she goes catatonic after having sex with the dead guy in the bathroom. Um... <laughs> And, like, at the end of it, he gets shot, and he dies. And it's just kind of like this progression. And, uh, I mean, it was it's kind of more of an indie film thing and less of a uh, comedy at that point. Well, I'm glad they sold the film to Miramax and remixed it and had a different ending, because if not, then there would be... Clerks 2 would just have a completely different different theme. They'd be like, Dante the Ghost, working at movies. Or that, that would have been my thing, too. <laughs> I, as much as Clerks... It is a good movie. I think, personally, I sort of like Clerks 2 better. Yeah. 
Um, I love Clerks 2. Um, and had this been the uh, final version of Clerks, there'd probably be no Clerks 2. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or it'd just be Randall and, and Elias. <laughs> Which still would have been a fun movie. Yeah, but then there wouldn't have been somebody bitching about, don't pick on him. <laughs> It's actually, I think what do you in Clerks 2. We're taking Porch Monkeys back. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Clerks 2, I think Elias kind of steals the show in a lot of ways. Oh, yeah, okay. Elias is amazing in Clerks 2. Um. <laughs> oh, Elias. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, we yeah. should watch that. I, I think we need to. I, I was coming up with the idea that maybe for, uh, if not before the next Dragon Con, we should all get together and do Clerks 2 as an episode. Oh, for sure. So we could have Joy on again. But, um, you know, and we could just watch it, watch it, because it's a good fucking movie, but, yeah, no, I'm glad there's a Clerks 2, and I think I almost like Clerks 2 better, but I've, there's always a nostalgia to Clerks for me, it's like, this is one of my fucking... Well, Clerks 1 was your gateway dragon. Yeah, it was my gateway dragon, and so... How much did it cost? Huh? <laughs> Fifteen bucks in your hand. <laughs> <laughs> um, that wouldn't probably cost twenty to twenty-five bucks right there, but I've had it on VHS, at least two DVDs, and I have a Blu-ray now. So, so I'm. It's it's fair <laughs> to say that I spent a decent amount of money on Clerks. Um, and and I will continue to because. The movies that I really love. I want to buy Clerks 37 times. No. Every different box that it comes in, I'll have <laughs> all the covers. Well, I mean, <laughs> we were talking about how there could be a 20th anniversary next year, and I'm like, you know what, if there is, I will buy it. <laughs> I will get it if it comes with a commentary with uh, both Dante and Rachel. Um, that, yeah, that'd be cool. They don't usually do that. Kevin Smith does a lot of commentaries, but he doesn't get all his actors on there very often. Yeah, that would be epic. So just, uh, uh, I'm going to throw out a hypothetical here. So Clerks, of course, is all in black and white, and you're talking about how that's what made you realize some black and white movies could be cool. Mm -hmm. So what if Kevin Smith pulled a George Lucas and decided to colorize it for an edition? What would you think? Um, I mean, I'd buy it. <laughs> uh, would you, like, go to, like, if he was, uh, this is what I would do. If he was, like, promoting it, mm -hmm. you know, going from, like, theater to theater and signing stuff, you know. And uh, I'd buy it and slap him in the face with it. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'd run because there's no way he could catch up. Um, well, I mean, I guess... <laughs> How did I do that with the new Star Wars stuff? Yeah. Why didn't slap George Lucas? <laughs> yeah, well, the new Star Wars stuff is all Disney, so... Uh, I hope they do a better job with... Yeah, they just have needed. Mickey Mouse in the next one, though. <laughs> I don't know, Disney does a lot of really good stuff uh, with Pixar and all that. Well, they also own Miramax, which put out Clerks, so... <laughs> I mean, people are putting more problems into the, or more worries into that than I think is necessary. Disney owns a lot of stuff that does good things. Well, you know, uh, George Lucas used to own uh, the company that became Pixar. Oh. So Disney is slowly buying all of George Lucas's things. Soon they will buy the uh, Skywalker Ranch and turn it into Disney World. <laughs> Again, like Disney Planet, probably. <laughs> nice. So there you go for uh, the twentieth edition, George Lucas, twentieth anniversary of Clerks. We should have a uh, you know Kevin Smith should just go 
ape shit on everyone, do it colorized, uh, claim that technology wasn't where he wanted it to be in the 20s, I mean 20 years ago, and uh-huh. add a whole bunch of scenes and change the music. <laughs> technology wasn't where I wanted it to be in the 20s. Yeah. <laughs> I'm that old. I look so good for my age. Yeah, I don't think <laughs> Kevin Smith would do that. Now, he might release a color version, but... Uh, you know, that wouldn't necessarily change the thought process behind Clerks because the only reason they shot it in black and white is the film stock was cheaper than color film. So, you know, it's not like that kills the artistic, like, integrity or anything like that. However, I, you know, like I said, I'd buy the color version. I'd probably watch it once, put it on a shelf, and every time I want to watch Clerks, I'd just put in the black and white version, you know. Yeah. I don't think they'll do that though, because then they'll the joke about in the beginning of Clerks two when everything's black and white mm-hmm. doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Well, like a yeah. Because it's all black and white, and then it's on fire, and the fire's in color. Yeah. 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 I like I said, I don't think the uh, like Kevin Smith's all about giving you multiple versions of a movie. I don't think he'd ever try and change like this is the official version. Forget the old one. But then again, I mean, you think about other things that have extremely low budgets. I mean, that's something that can kind of kind of shapes the character of a movie, right? For instance, I mean, like, you think about Monty Python and the Holy Grail. If they didn't have a low budget, you wouldn't have the coconut scenes. Right. Oh, my goodness. That movie <laughs> is awesome. They, they just have actual horses. Which wouldn't have been... I mean, that would have cut, like, half of the sense. funny bits out of uh, <laughs> the Holy Grail if they had real horses. There is a real horse in one bit of it. Does there? Yeah, you know when the historian is talking about, oh, and this is the castle and uh, whatever, and the knight runs by him on a horse and slits his throat. Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's the only horse in the whole movie. Hmm. Well, that they probably blew their horse budget right there, and they're like, crap. I'm pretty sure they also blew their coconut budget, because about three-fourths of the way through, they, uh, they animate where they ate Robin's minstrels and there was much rejoicing and mm-hmm. then after that there were no more coconut <laughs> clapping scenes wow well i guess if you eat a minstrel you need some coconut to go with it yeah, yeah i guess yeah. so well they were the ones with the <laughs> uh, yeah with the, true. with the coconuts true so. true it's like toasted coconut minstrels you know like <laughs> coconut shrimp oh yeah you just saute them in butter <laughs> for about 20 minutes and brown on each side Flip over and finish off in the oven. Yeah. Cooking with us. <laughs> that would be terrible. What have you seen this week? I have seen some gems this week. Um, let's see here. Uh, let's start. First, I want to talk about a movie called... Uh, it's called The Creatures from the Abyss. Now, this movie I picked up at a horror hound. Not the most recent one that was last weekend. Oh! Yeah, I went to Horror Hound last weekend. Fantastic! <laughs> uh, I'll get back to that. But the Horror Hound before this one, I saw a movie called... I bought a movie called The Creatures from the Abyss. And it is wonderful trash. Um, it was made in the mid-90s. I think it was like 94. So it was actually just about a year older than Clerks. But it is about these uh, kids that go out on a raft... They get lost, and there's a storm, and they end up on this boat that's out to shore with nobody on it. 
And all of a sudden, you know, before you know it, there are these, like, there's basically killer mutant fish. And, and there are these, there's this powder that's, uh, this one kid thinks there's drugs, but it turns out, well, I don't want to spoil it too much. They're not drugs. It turns out to be flour. But, um. <laughs> it's cornstarch. But, so they start all turning into, like, mutant fish creatures, and it, it's, it's great. It's, um, the picture quality's not great. You can tell that all the dialogue was dubbed in afterwards. Like, I don't know if maybe they recorded the dialogue and it was bad. But, uh... But, yeah, so everything you can tell is dubbed in. So you can sometimes see where the lips aren't completely synced up. Um, and then the characters are so stereotypical and they, like... There's, like, this one guy with, like, a mullet, and he, he talks all serious, like, he knows all this stuff about, like, fish and, like, computers and stuff, and it's like, there's no way you would have these specific skill sets. It's like, I am perfectly equipped for this, you know, this situation. It's like in Birdemic when they see that guy that's, like, got Alzheimer's on the bridge, and then he starts telling them all about how, like... He's an expert with birds, and they're just pissed off because of the climate change. Yes. Like, he knows what he's talking about. And there's all, there's also some, like, birdemic level creature effects in there. Oh, excellent. I mean, not all of them. So A lot of them are much better, but there are some that are just as bad. And is this the movie that you um, got the interview with the director, or is that a different movie? That is a different movie. That's the second one I want to talk about. Excellent. Um, but yeah, this one, it's called... Uh, Creatures from the Abyss, or it's got a different title called Plankton, if you look at it on IMDb. Um, yeah, it's... it's Plankton! It's just amazing. I watched um, Spongebob today. It was an episode with Plankton in it. Nice. But I'm sorry. <laughs> that, that just reminded me of that. Is this it? Yep, that's it. Right. Plankton. Ooh, nice cover! That's not the cover I have, but once again... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's it's just it's a lot of fun. Uh, if you're looking for a good bad movie, this definitely counts. I bet she's sucked thirty seven dicks. She probably has. That's how she got the part in the movie. <laughs> um, well, I like when it, they do this on uh, IMDb. It says video. This is very clearly de- depicting that it was never actually a theatrical movie. <laughs> um, Straight to DVD fare, but um, the second one I saw is a movie called Found. Now this movie I gave a chance because I was a uh, I was at Horror Hound, and I was thinking, you know, I've got this podcast. Let's see if there's anybody we can talk to. And there were two people sitting at a table with a pile of the ex- pile of just one movie, and so it's like, all right, I walked up to him like, hey, is this your movie? It's like, yeah, I directed it, my friend here, uh, she was the producer. I'm like, alright. And uh, they were nice enough to give me an interview. I bought a copy of the movie, I took it home. It's an actual pretty good movie. Um, It's, the story is that there's this, uh, this, the story revolves around this little kid whose older brother is a serial killer. He had to borrow his brother's bowling ball one day. And he got to the bowling alley, and he opened it up, and there was a head in the bag. Did he bowl with it? Because, you know, once you're already there, <laughs> you can't just skip out on your bowling game. 
yeah, he, he closed the bag really quickly and borrowed somebody else's bowling ball, but... Oh, cheater. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, so he knew that his brother was a serial killer, and so he's, like, really fascinated with it, and he, like, keeps sneaking into his brother's room to check out the head, or heads. There's, you know, there are a couple of different heads. His brother grows up to be the governor of Woodbury. <laughs> I don't know. It's just, uh, it's really good. It's very well acted. It was, uh, you know, kept your interest. It was entertaining. And yeah, I liked it. And it's actually kind of local. I was reading a little bit about it, and it looks like they filmed it in Bloomington. So here, go ahead and listen to our interview with, uh, you know, with the director, Scott Shermer, and producer, uh, yeah, Leah Taylor. So yeah, Leah Taylor and Scott Shermer, this is uh, an interview with them. We talked about their movie, their favorite horror films, etc., etc. So here, enjoy. All right, this is Mike, uh, Mike from the B-Cast again, and I'm here with the uh, the director and the DP of uh, DP producer of uh, the movie Found. Um, now I haven't seen this movie; I just kind of came across it at the con. But uh, always like to talk to directors, people behind the scenes. So and after you see it, you'll love it. <laughs> exactly. So um, I guess start off to tell us about your movie. Found is, this is Scott Shermer, and I directed it, and it's about a fifth grade boy who discovers his older brother's a serial killer, and uh, there's a bunch of subtext in the movie that deals with bullying, that's what our little protagonist is dealing with in the movie, and so it's almost like, how does he apply what he learns from his brother to the experience he has at school, and is nice. that a good thing or a bad <laughs> thing? And it's sort of a coming-of-age drama that quickly and rapidly descends into a full-blown horror movie with tons of gore and blood. That's cool. It was based on a book. Do you, uh, did you guys work close with the author? Or? Yes, I work at the publishing company where the author published the book. Mm -hmm. He self-published, and um, I just came across it. And usually in self-publishing, you know, you see a lot of poetry and recipe books and self-help books. You don't see horror books that start off with the line, my brother keeps a human head in his closet. <laughs> so I was like, hell yeah, I got to read that. And I read it one sitting. I didn't even get up to pee, and I fucking loved it. I was like so excited when it was over. I just had to make it into a movie. And then I was like, oh God, what if he doesn't let me? And then fortunately we looked him up. There was a pervert in Lexington, Kentucky with the same name. Nice. So I was really relieved to find <laughs> out that he wasn't the pervert guy. Yeah. Um, although he did write found, so maybe that's, <laughs> maybe he is a pervert. But um, fortunately he was really cool um, because we couldn't afford to buy the rights to the movie. Instead, we just promised him that Whatever we made off the movie, he'd get a cut, certain cut. That's cool. And so he's in on it. We're in on it. We made it. We're also really proud of it. And he was awesome to work with. We didn't change very much. That's cool. But whatever we asked to change, he was pretty gracious about. That's, that's good to hear. Um, so is this your first movie? It's um, my first really good one. First really good one? <laughs> I've made lots of movies in the past for like 12 years, but found is on a whole new level with better technology and better resources and just a lot more we took a lot more time like yeah. all the other movies i made i made in like a week because you have to and you don't have money but this time it's like you know what we don't have money but we're going to take 32 days so we did that's spread cool. out over six months that's good um yeah i'm a big fan of uh just like independent filmmakers uh that's kind of what drove... Well, I mean, I, I watched your scissor reel. I liked the gore that I saw in the movie, so, I mean, that, that always appeals to me to a good horror film, but I really like people that just kind of go out there and make their own movies. It's 
kind of something I want to do eventually. And you know, I'm a big fan of people like Troma for stuff like that yeah. too. Um, so yeah, that's really cool to hear. Uh, yeah, the gore is, was important. We knew the gore would be important to attract the horror crowd. Yeah. But then we were trying to like give them more than what they thought they'd get because I don't know, gore just for gore can get boring after a little while. But at the same time, when I watch a horror movie that doesn't have any gore, I feel really let down. Yeah. It's like the cum shot, honestly. <laughs> the gore is the cum shot in a horror movie. I mean, you got to have the foreplay, you got to have the sex, and you got to have the money shot. It's all got to be in there. So I yeah. hopefully found is is a dynamic combination of, of everything you need in a horror movie. Yeah, yeah. The gore is also an integral part to the story because the, the movie itself is about violence and the sexualization of violence mm -hmm. and, and how that has an effect on young men, um, it, particularly young men, because that's the subject of the movie. Um, but it, it, it spoke to both of us really a lot. Um, and, and I feel like that the, the, the gore in the movie, most of the gore in the movie is actually in a movie within the movie that okay. the boy rents or he tries to rent from a video store. It's called, the movie's called Headless. Okay. And he um, looks at the box, and he's very excited, and then he opens it, and the tape's not in there. Yeah. And the video store owner's like, oh, sorry, kid, it's lost or stolen, you're out of mm -hmm. luck, you know. And he goes home, looks through his brother's movie collection, and his brother had stolen it from the video store. <laughs> nice. And it has a little piece of paper in there with all the kills written down. <laughs> and then it's obvious that the, the older brother is kind of copycatty. Uh, he's doing a copycat kind of a thing from the movie, so That's it kind cool. of it brings up the whole thing about you know what kind of effect do horror movies have on people, and you know is, is this what caused him to be this way, or is it him just being fucked up? You yeah, know, yeah. so I mean it's kind of an interesting high concept thing that that the movie brings up, and it's part of the reason why I fell in love with it so much and wanted to help Scott make it. Yeah. So That's cool. Um, yeah, I like that. It sounds like it's got a good story to it. Uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with the story in horror movies. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's nothing wrong with movies without story, but still, <laughs> yeah. uh, like the ones that really stick with you have a good plot, and good characters you'll care about, and stuff like that. One of my so. favorite things we hear from people that are that have watched it is that they can't stop thinking about it, yeah, or that they want to see it again. So that's awesome. Or that they buy it after they see it, which is really, really awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, Horror Hound Magazine says that the movie has uh, one of the most brutal endings ever filmed. So That's I'd cool. love to hear what your take on that after you've seen the film. So um, yeah, well, I will. Uh, I'll definitely. I've bought the movie. I'm going to watch it, and uh, I'll definitely talk about it on the next podcast. This interview will probably be in there as well. Um, and I have your card contact info, so I'll probably try and make sure I get uh, you guys a link sent out when that's up. Um, yeah, I. Uh, I hope to watch it pretty soon and. Yeah, I'm hoping I like it. Uh, I hope you do too, because otherwise you, you'll be a lot more sad about putting this podcast up. It's like, God, this movie sucks. Eh, no, it won't bother me. I'll be like, uh, these guys tried. I didn't like we it, tried. but some people do. It's um, not for everyone. Yeah. You know, it, we I mean, knew that. There's nothing wrong with that. There are movies that love people love all over the place that I can't stand. So, I mean, that doesn't mean anything. But, um, but I mean, I thought it looked good. And so I'm going to give it a chance. And... Yeah. Uh, so, were you guys? Uh, are you big horror fans above and beyond just having made one? Or you go first. Um. Yeah, I'm a big horror fan. I honestly, I didn't start off as one. Mm -hmm. I honestly had a a huge mis misconception about what horror was. I thought that it was all slashers, and that was it. You know. Yeah. I didn't realize it went deeper than that. And then about five years ago, or, yeah, five years ago or so. 
Um, I got I in um, I actually was an intern for a horror film festival where I'm from in Bloomington mm-hmm. called Dark Carnival Film Fest. Okay. And I um, kind of started off as an intern there, and then I just fell in love with it and got to see so many amazing independent horror films from all over the world, and uh, it kind of changed my life and and I, I've kind of changed the way that I've you know do things and now I'm really into it and and you know I just love making them I feel like horror really gets to the truth in life you know what I mean it really it's not afraid to to deal with real fears in a, in a metaphorical way yeah and I think that that's that's really important it's just like mythology you know it's the same kind of concept where you know people people look to mythology for that kind of thing but now I think horror films um sort of fill that role. Yeah. So. I didn't, I was sort of like Leah too, I didn't love horror movies growing up because when I was growing up it was mostly the 80s and and it was mostly silly slasher movies. The slasher movies had gotten kind of funny by that point. So I had discounted the genre too, but then in college my, I told my roommates I didn't really like horror movies <laughs> and they were like, well that's stupid, you need to see Texas Chainsaw Massacre and The Evil Dead. Mm-hmm. And so we went and rented them, and I watched them, and I really loved both of them. Yeah. And then I realized, oh, yeah, that is stupid. I don't, I don't dislike horror movies. I just haven't seen the right ones. So that's... And we actually see a lot of people that still think that. Like, today, people think horror is all torture porn. Yeah. So yeah. they don't it's realize that there's atomic horror, there's universal classic monsters, there's hammer films, there's whatever the suck, that sick-ass shit the French and Japanese are doing. I mean, <laughs> God. Yeah, That's they... the most disturbing shit on earth is what those two countries are doing. Awesome. Really but is. it's it's a diverse it's a diverse genre and I really have fallen in love with it because like Leah said, you can deal with so many issues in horror and science fiction too, maybe fantasy to some extent, that you just can't talk about in dramas and comedies and romance and shit. That stuff's so tied to earth that it's kind of boring. Let's talk about what it's like not to be human anymore, to lose your body and things yeah, like that. That's scary. Cool. So, um, another couple of quick questions, and I'll let you guys get back to it. Uh, so, uh, both of you, do either of you have a favorite horror film? Texas Chainsaw. Texas Absolutely Chainsaw Massacre? for me, is just way far and above and beyond. The original Texas Chainsaw right. is just this pinnacle of awesome perfection that I will always be reaching for. Never want to copycat it, mm-hmm. but just something that tenacious and fearless and just, God, frenzied. All right. When it's over, you just feel like you had sex and died at the same time. <laughs> nice. Um, I don't really have a... Fi- I, I, I hesitate to answer that question because it's difficult. I'm still learning about the yeah. genre. I've only been in it for about five years now, and I haven't watched all there is to see, you know? But I can tell you what my favorite horror movie that I've seen this year is. Okay. And that is Excision. Uh-huh. Um, I saw that not that long ago. fantastic. So. I really, really enjoyed it. I loved the... Especially the dream sequences. She has a, yeah. a very intense love of surgery, and I just that really spoke to me in, an, in a really interesting way. And um, the lead actress, I cannot. It's like Mary Beth McCord or something. I forget her name. It's, yeah. Please something cut that McCord. out or something. But she's incredible, and it's got um, interesting. Tracy Lords, Tracy really Lords yeah, is Tracy the mom. Lords, uh, John Waters is in it briefly. Ray Wise. So I don't know. It's just, um, and it's not just because the star power. It's got a really interesting story. That spoke to me in a lot of ways. So. It sort of is kind of like a companion piece to found from the female point of view too. Yeah, because yeah. it's about two sisters, and this yeah. is about two brothers. So it's That's kind cool. of it spoke to us in that way too. So, but I don't know. I just I really enjoyed it, and it was gorgeous, gorgeous, it's gorgeously gorgeous. shot. Yeah, yeah. God, if you haven't seen that movie, please, please just exactly. do me a favor yes. and go watch it. I, I just bought it. I, I loved it. I yeah. did too. I bought it sight unseen as well. Yep, yep. So. Um, yeah, no, I, we, I just talked about it like two episodes ago. It, it's it's quite amazing. So, 
Um, yeah, so uh, you guys, uh, you made your movie found. It's you're Scott Shermer, the director, Leah Taylor, the producer, director-producer. Uh, director um, where can people find your movie? Where can people find you? Until after Halloween of 2013, we're really just going to be available at um, a few convention screenings and film festivals around the world. Okay. We've entered a bunch, and we've gotten into some already. So I would just say stay tuned to foundmovie.net or facebook.com backslash foundmovie to see where the next screenings are, hopefully near you. But we do have a few nibbles from distribution companies already, so I feel pretty confident that we'll have a distribution deal maybe as early as the end of 2013, if not 2014. Okay. Um, yeah. So, you heard it, guys. Uh, just keep an eye out. The movie will be available soon. And uh, thank you both for talking to me. I appreciate it. Thank and you for talking yeah, to us. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> uh, it's nice to meet you. You do. Thank you very much. Good luck, guys. And we're back. <laughs> and uh, so... While you were at Horror Hound, you went to the trauma booth, and there is still no Lloyd. No, there is no Lloyd. So we've we've been on this epic quest to find Lloyd Kaufman, and we usually see him all the time at these cons, and he has not been to any of the cons this year. No, um, which is uh, could be kind of a good thing because he is finishing up the new uh, Class of Dukem High movie, and. A new trauma movie with Lloyd involved is always a good thing in my my mind. Yeah. But it is it does suck because yeah we have not seen Lloyd Kaufman for us for a while. So we uh, when we were at DragonCon we went to a panel that he was supposed to be at and they just showed us a lot of behind the scenes for Class of Newcomb High. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the way that they portrayed his involvement was, are you guys done yet? <laughs> You guys need to do these things. Yes. You're behind schedule. Get, do it faster. Do it better. You should know better. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah, so it's it's hard to say what all's going on. I, I, I kind of asked if he was doing okay, because he is, he is kind of getting up there in years. And, and the guys at the booth said he's still just doing fine. He's just busy, so hopefully that's the case. I like how you just, you know... You haven't seen Lloyd in a few months, and it's not like you, you're his friend or anything, and you just automatically assume that he's dying. <laughs> it's just a concern. I mean... You're like, I haven't seen him. Is he dying? Well, Mike watched a lot of, lots of slasher flicks, so that's his automatic assumption for everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like to also, like, if I don't see somebody for a long time, just assume that they're dead, and then when mm -hmm. I do see them, I'm super excited to see them again. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just kind of a thing that for about three years, not three, about two years, I saw Lloyd Kaufman at a convention every two or three months. So... No, he was probably like, man, I'm not going to that con. Mike will be there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that could be the case. He's like, oh, that stupid kid. He let me call his friend Marge, and it turns out that nobody was named Marge. Um, it's okay. He probably doesn't remember. But, yeah, so, like, you know, I don't know. I just kind of worried about him. I do like Lloyd. He's a great guy. Then you also wanted to talk about a Grindhouse trailer? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, it is Thanksgiving week. Like, Thanksgiving was yesterday, actually. Yeah, we almost watched uh, Things Killing and then the other podcast today. Yeah, I still want to watch Things Killing, and eventually we can talk about it just a little bit, but I just accidentally tapped it. Alright, yeah, we uh, we just turned the thing off, so here's... <laughs> you might have missed a second. Um, yeah, I, I was... We were talking about how we still wanted to watch Things Killing. 
killing and talk about it a bit, but uh, the trailer um, is uh, Thanksgiving by Eli Roth. Uh, it's it was in the the Grindhouse movies that came out a years a couple of years back. Um, there was like a whole Grindhouse double feature uh, experience that Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez decided to put out. And if you were able to catch this the way it was meant to be, it was amazing. Uh, I know after a while they split the movies in two and released them separately. That's how most people were able to get them on DVD and. Blu-ray for the longest time, Death Proof and Planet Terror. But they were each two I different like parts. See, I mean, I like Death Proof. I like it more now than I did when I first saw it, but it, for me it was always the weaker of the two movies. You know, a lot of people told me that that movie was really, like, horrible. Like, torture porn horrible. Mm-hmm. And then I watched it and I'm like, this, it's over? But Death Proof? Yeah, I'm like, I that wasn't bad at all. No. Um, Death Proof, it, and it does have an interesting twist to it. Like, they spend the whole first 30 minutes of the movie building this guy up to be this badass, like, you know, murderer kind of guy. And then the second half, the, these girls just kind of track him down and beat the shit out of him, and he's like, crybaby. I don't even think they track him down so much as they just see him on the road, and he tries to run him off the road, and they're like, we're not taking this shit. Well, I mean, yeah, they just kind of, he tries to run him off the road, and they fight back. Yeah. And he's not used to that, and, yeah. He's really not used to it. But, uh, but in between the two movies, they had these trailers, and this one was made by Eli Roth, and it's just, it's amazing. It's got, like, this kind of 70s vibe. There's, like, grit on the screen, and it's just this guy kind of like narrating this there's this little town that has thanksgiving traditions that are really important and there's this thanksgiving killer going around killing people he cuts off the turkey mascot's head he kills horny teenagers and he uh kills and stuffs an old lady jason's psas (laughs) they would have saved their lives um so i mean yeah it was just it's a cool little trailer. If you haven't seen it, you should check it out. Just look for the Thanksgiving trailer. Search Eli Roth. You can find it on YouTube pretty easily. Um, it's just... It's really cool. I, I wish it were turning into a whole movie. Because they made Machete after the Machete trailer from Grindhouse. And that was good. And I think they're making Machete 2. Yeah, they are working on Machete 2. Which I'll check out, but I'm not the biggest fan of Machete. I I like it a decent amount, but, like, the trailer was good. The movie was kind of dull. Although it's pretty accurate depiction of what that kind of movie might have actually been like. So, why don't you tell us about a movie, Joy? Well, a lot of the kinds of movie nerds that I am, I guess, would be, like, foreign films, so... One that I saw recently, the English title is Welcome to the Sticks, and the original title in French is Bienvenue chez les And so anyway, I've got a, a friend right now who's a, a researcher, just kind of doing a temporary thing over here in the U.S., and he's from France, and so anyway, being a language nerd, I like to practice French with him, and so he was telling me about this movie. So, you know, kind of interesting thing about France is that, you know, I always thought, until I went over there, that, you know, France is France, and they've spoken French, like, 
since they kicked the Romans out, you know? Yeah, yeah. But really, they had, like, up until a couple generations ago, like, dozens of dialects throughout the country. And, like, a lot of those are dying off now. But in the northern part of France, there's this, like, kind of group of people kind of known as the Chetoumi, or they sometimes uh, shorten it as Ch'ti. And that's uh, where the title comes from. Bienvenue chez the Ch'ti means welcome to the, the place of the Ch'ti. Or... They just translate in English to welcome to the sticks. So basically, they, they, they speak uh, a language that's very, very similar to French, but some of the, some of the um, words are pronounced a little different. Like, for instance, anytime they have something that has like an S sound in French, it's more like an SH sound in the Chetoumi language. So there's a lot of comic scenes in there that just play on that, that, um, that language bit. Like, for instance, there's a whole bit where basically the guy, the, the summary of the story is that this guy is, he's married to a woman who's depressed, and so to try to, like, make her happy, he's trying to get a job, like, the coast of France and the south side, where it's all warm, and the weather's mm -hmm. nice, and you're right on the sea. And, but every time he tries to apply for it, somebody else, like, some guy that's, like, uh, handicapped or disabled gets it instead. <laughs> so he ends up pretending to be disabled so he'll get that job. <laughs> So, but then when the guys, like when the, you know, head office comes to make sure he's really disabled, he botches it up and they figure out he's not disabled. And so as a punishment, they send him to the northernmost post that they have in France. And of course, it's kind of funny because his wife is just like freaking out like it's so cold up there. Like she makes him go like in this like heavy, heavy coat every single time like that mm -hmm. he goes to drive up there, like bundles him up before he even like gets in the car. Um, but it's, it's pretty funny, because when he first gets there, he gets to the new office, and he's like, it comes with an apartment, and he goes to see the apartment, and there's no furniture in it. And he's like, wait, wait, you mean it's not furnished? And then the guy says, well, you know, I think the last manager took all the furniture with him, it was his dogs. Mm -hmm. He's like, what? He gave his furniture to the dogs? What do you mean he gave his furniture to the dogs? And he's like... I don't know, it was his dogs. I mean, what do you mean? What are you asking me this for? And it, it ends up being a whole play on a word, because in French, he was saying, in, in French, les siens means it was his. Like So he was trying to say that the furniture belonged to the old manager, but because he's doing the whole swapping of S and SH, he's saying les chiens, which les chiens is dogs. So the French guy is thinking, like the guy from, like, the normal French dialect is thinking that he's saying that the furniture belongs to his dogs, when in fact he's just saying it, the furniture was his furniture in, like, that dialect. So that's, there's a lot of really play funny. on words stuff. <laughs> it's kind of fun. <laughs> it um, looks funny from the cover. Yeah, yeah, apparently this guy Danny Boone, uh, he's, mm -hmm. he's the guy with the hat on sideways there. He's, I guess, a big comedian in France, like, really really famous. He's well, the, the other really cool thing, like, well, there's several cool things about this movie. Another thing that's really cool is, like, the guy, also Danny Boone, his character plays the, I think they call it, like, a carol wheel or something. I forget the name of it, but it's basically, like, bells in a cathedral that you mm -hmm. just play songs on, so you play it like it's a <laughs> piano keyboard. But, um, yeah, so it's pretty cool. He plays it really well in the, in the movie. Uh, another part that's a lot of fun in that movie is um, the guy keeps, like, coming to work, and he's a little bit drunk, and so the boss is getting concerned about him, and he's like, all right, I'm going to go with you and, like, see why see why this is happening. So it turns out, like, he's a, po he's a mailman, right? 
And in the region, like, the, the, everybody, they're so friendly that every time he goes to deliver the mail, when he knocks on the door, everyone's like, oh, come on in for a second. And then every, every place he goes to deliver mail, they give him something to drink. So by the time he's delivered all his mail, he's like, shit-faced, right? <laughs> so that's another kind of funny scene in the movie when they when they do all that. But I, I guess, like, one of the last things that, like, sticks out to me, uh, they have a, a line in the film that says, like, you know, when you come up to this part of the country, you cry two, two times. You cry when you first get here because it's cold and the weather's awful. Then you cry when you leave because the people are so cool and you're, you're going to miss them. <laughs> So, yeah, yeah. I, I recommend it. The only bad thing, the only thing I would, uh, you know, advise listeners of this podcast is the whole bit I explained about some of the, like, play on words humor, a little rough to do in uh, in subtitles. The first time I watched it, I watched it with French subtitles just so I could, like, catch all the words. And the second time I watched it with a friend with the English subtitles and just felt like the jokes didn't flow nearly as well when you're trying to read an yeah. English approximation of the play on words that is happening in French. It kind of happens every time you watch a movie that's got subtitles. There's always yeah. something that's lost. Yeah, you always lose something. I, I, uh... I, I would... I'll have to go on the record as uh, anybody who, you know, is like, ugh, French movie. My sister has really good taste in movies, actually. She sat <laughs> me through a couple of them. And, you know, even if I'm... Even if I start off, like... Ugh, subtitles. And I, you know, I have nothing against movies with subtitles. It's just, sometimes I the feel lazy, <laughs> yeah. and I don't want to have to read my movie. But still, I've never been really disappointed when she's, like, trying to show me a movie. And Like Pantaleon? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, honestly, some of my favorite movies you put me on, too. Um, like, there's one that I want to do for the podcast, and I keep wanting to show people, Forgiving the Franklins. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. That's not, that, that's not a foreign film at all, but it's this amazing, like, very interesting view on religion movie. And Which I actually first saw that at DragonCon, believe it or not. Really? Mm-hmm. I thought you saw, you saw that at, uh... Like an acquire the fire or something like that, or no, Jesus of Montreal. I first saw at a okay. Christian festival. That makes more sense because yeah, forgiving the Franklins, I don't see a Christian festival so yeah, much. For, but forgiving the Franklins, I actually saw it was Dragon Con. Gosh, probably six or seven years ago now, and it was kind of one of those like ten o'clock at night. There's nothing I've got in the program. I have to go to right now. Let's just walk into something. And so I walked in. I'm like, oh, here's a movie. This is cool. And, like, I think about ten seconds after I walked in, it was a scene where she walks out of the house completely naked to go pick up the newspaper, and I'm like, what? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and so, I don't know, I have to say I was, like, intrigued at that point, like, what is this movie? And so I kept watching it, and it turned out to be really good. Yeah. <laughs> and so then, at that time, they didn't have it out on DVD yet, and so for, like, a year and a half, it was driving me nuts, because I'm like, I want to know how this movie starts. <laughs> 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 you know, I walked in, like... 30 minutes into it and had no idea, like, what the what the setup was. And then finally it came out on DVD and I was excited. Yes, and then, then I copied your copy of the DVD, and so I have it on my computer. One of these days I want to get an actual physical copy of it for myself. Um, but, yeah. Mm -hmm. that, that's something, like, that I really enjoy, I think, is um, movies that challenge uh, traditional positions on religion. Mm-hmm. Which is why, you know, Jesus of Montreal, Forgiving the Franklins, I like both of those a lot. Yeah. Uh, another good one is uh, But I'm a Cheerleader, which isn't really a religion one, but it is kind of challenging popular views of things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, But I'm a Cheerleader is a really good movie. And, and yeah, it's, I mean, the religion's there, but it just kind of... 
kind of a subtle background thing, not oh, so that, much in the forefront, I guess, for that movie. That movie is so well done. I, I love like just the <laughs> entire view of that. Have you seen But I'm a Cheerleader? No. We'll uh, have to make you yes. watch it sometime. Okay. I'll watch anything. But I'm a Cheerleader is a, uh, it's about a uh, camp where you can send gay kids to become straight again. Cool. <laughs> a little bit like Saved, actually. Yeah, I was thinking that. But yeah. it's it's all about the camp. You go there with them instead of. And of course, instead of just. The irony of the movie is that the the girl who gets sent doesn't even realize she's gay, and her family has this big intervention to send her there. And, <laughs> and of course, she's then like, when she goes there, it's kind of like a subtle thing. Whereas she's there, it kind of like makes her realize that she is, even though she wasn't aware of it before she went. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's kind of like when Butters has to go to to gay camp. Yeah. Yeah, and he's like, I am confused, and we're all confused together. <laughs> I remember that episode. That one was pretty funny, actually. And he was actually just confused. Yeah. Like, well, Why am I here? What's going on? Cartman took a picture of oh, him yeah, with right. like his penis in his mouth while he was sleeping. His dad saw it. He's like, are you bi-curious? And I'm like, I, I guess so, Dad. I, I'm kind of <laughs> curious. I don't know what's going on. So, so this one here, the Welcome to the Sticks I was talking to, is supposedly like the most popular, the highest grossing French film of all time in France. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was like the most popular because it is so funny and it's like about that specific region. I, I seem to have a knack for finding like the superlatives, I suppose, because another, another movie that involves French language um, that, I, that I highly recommend is Bon Cop, Bad Cop. Mm -hmm. um, and that one, I think, is actually, like, the most popular Canadian film of all time. Nice. Well, I mean, no, seriously, like, when I was in France, like, I think 75% of the movies at the theater were, like, English. They were from, like, the States. But, uh, yeah, Bone Cop, Bad Cop that I was talking about, that that one's a fun one. It's about, um, it's about a series of murders, actually, that happen, and they all involve, in some way, hockey, right? Because it's mm -hmm. Canada. Everything has to be about hockey in Canada. I think it's the law. Yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Even if you are, like, asking bartenders for directions to strip clubs, they start talking about hockey. It's crazy. Yeah, it has to be a hockey metaphor or something. Yeah. Nice. So, yeah, so this is a series of murders related to hockey, and, of course, the, the first one, when they find the body, it's literally, like, indented <laughs> in the sign <laughs> that tells you that you're going from Quebec to Montreal. So, like, right on the border between the French and English-speaking parts of Canada. Nice. So then they can't decide which police department should cover it, cover the case and, like, try to figure out who the murderer is. So they end up with one cop from each side and make them work together. So it's kind of your typical good cop, bad cop, or, like, straight-laced versus cowboy-type mm -hmm. cop story. So the French-speaking cop is very, like, no rules, you know, fast cars bar fights kind of <laughs> kind of cop uh, and then the english speaking cop is very like by the books need all the paperwork let's follow the rules and procedures kind of cop and they end up having to work together um but you know another thing that i learned from this movie it's kind of funny because you know french french curse words you know like the, the curse words in canada are totally different from the curse words in france oh yeah yeah yeah, like, uh, in Canada, half of their... Actually, it's kind of funny to me, because I guess half the Canadian curse words are, like, all church terms. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, tabernacle is, like, a, a curse word in, in Canada, which basically means, like, sanctuary. <laughs> <laughs> nice. 
But yeah, they have a whole scene uh, in Bon Cop, Bad Cop, where uh, the French cop explains like uh, Canadian French cursing and how to conjugate it properly. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I think one of my favorite French language films is uh, it's uh, Angela, but it's like spelled angels like hyphen a, so it's like yeah, Angela. That's a good one. Um, and it's a, it's a Luc Besson film, the guy that did The Professional and uh, The Fifth Element and stuff. And it's this guy who's about to uh, kill himself. He's, like, about to jump off this bridge. Yeah, that guy's from Morocco, actually. Is he? Yeah, actually, I was uh, watching that in France, and somebody was telling me it was from, that guy is a Moroccan guy. And he doesn't have... One of his arms is missing. Really? Yeah. He should play Rick in Walking Well, Dead. I don't know if it's missing <laughs> or if it's just, like, inoperable, but... If you notice, because that's the same guy. He's also in Amelie. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a good one. That, actually, you... that's probably my favorite French film. <laughs> but if you, like, watch closely, like, I never noticed it before, but he always has, like, that hand in his pocket, and he never mm -hmm. uses that arm, and I never noticed that until somebody pointed that out to me. It's like Scotty and his missing finger. Exactly. You never notice it until you know it's there, and you start looking for it. But, yeah. Um, but, yeah, Angela... Uh, very good movie. Guy's about to kill himself, and then all of a sudden, standing next to him, out of nowhere, is a very beautiful, tall, leggy woman about to throw herself off the a bridge. Lady woman. <laughs> the lady woman. Women uh, who like pink. No, I said leggy. Oh, leggy. Yeah, I, a lady. Um, I mean, a lady woman, too, sure. Uh, <laughs> she was a lady woman, not a man woman. It doesn't. We checked. <laughs> Whether or not she likes pink is not really determined by this movie, because it is also in black and white, so. Um, and, and as we all know, black and white movies don't suck. Yeah. Um, like many a black and white movie, there's a, uh, Jimmy Stewart movie about Nazis that I really like, and, uh, uh, the Mountain Curry movie is black and white, and Harvey the Rabbit, very funny. It's a good one. I actually, earlier this year, saw Nosferatu in nice. black and white, which yeah. actually, there, there's this place in Atlanta that I, actually, I first... I've only been there one time, and it was to see Nosferatu, and I'll definitely be going back, but it's called the the Goat Farm Arts Center. Interesting. That sounds awesome. Yeah, and basically they bought all this land that had, like, old factories, like, brick buildings and stuff, and it was, like, this huge, like, artist complex, so, like, half the buildings were, like, falling apart, and they, like, left them that way for the artistic quality or something. But, um, yeah, so they were playing Nosferatu, which is, like, a 1920s basically plagiarism of Dracula um, and along with the movie they had this guy from I think he was Chilean who basically com I think he composed his own music I was a little bit confused about it because apparently this particular film had a music track composed for it like to play on the piano mm -hmm. which I guess most black and white films didn't have a specific track composed uh, I think this one said, they said that it originally did, but I guess it has been lost over time. So this guy from Chile decided to write his own track to accompany the, the movie. So it's kind of a cool concept. My, my only, like, criticism, I guess, would be that, you know, while, while it was cool that he had all this music to go along with the movie, I felt like the, his soundtrack had, like, one sound. Like, it was always the same sound. And it was really appropriate for, like, when there was a big scary scene. But it didn't always match the feel of the film. Like it's, it's a very... cartoon spring sound. Mm -hmm. isn't it? Yeah, it's like wong, constant. Wong, wong, wong. <laughs> yeah, like so at the very beginning of the film, it's like a happy thing. Like nothing scary has happened yet, right? It's like 
happy people in their 20s, and they're all like, you know, like 20s films, like, oh, my darling, I love you, blah, 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 you know? So it's like a really happy feeling, and yet he's still playing this creepy something bad is going to happen music, so it doesn't, like, fit yet, right? Yeah. The, um, the Rift Tracks version of um, Little Shop of Horrors mm-hmm. does that. They uh, have this running gag of inappropriately scary music. Is this for the uh, the old one with Jack Nicholson or yeah? Okay. Actually, um, I wanted to mention that since you brought it up in the movie Found, there's um there's great music in it. Um, like the music really sets the tone, and it's not like and is music done well? It's not like scary music when it's not supposed to be scary. It's scary when it is scary, but it's something I noticed. But. So the Jim the Jimmy Stewart movie I was talking about it's called The Mortal Storm. It's pretty good. Um, they uh, it's obviously about Nazis, but like when it was made in nineteen forty, it was still like a big big deal going on. So they never called them Nazis, mm-hmm. and they never called Jewish people Jews. They called them non Aryans mm-hmm. um, because they didn't want to say. Say it hands down because it was, you know, the wars are still going on and stuff. And and they they tried to, you know, not say it because they didn't think the German audience would, would get it. And they yeah. still wanted to sell the movie in Germany. Fair enough. Well, if you want to see something interesting sometime, uh, on Netflix I watched this thing once called A Film Unfinished. Have you seen that on Netflix? Mm-mm. It's kind of interesting, actually. It's, it's so, somewhat of a documentary, but basically they found all this footage that the um, that the Germans had taken, I think, like, uh, when some of the big ghettos were still in operation, like before they had all the concentration camps and death camps. But yeah, so it, it was, um, they basically found all this real footage that the Nazis had taken, and I think they even found some people who had been in those, like, in, in the film footage taken. And did interviews with them, but basically it was obvious that they were trying to make some sort of a propaganda film, <laughs> but nobody can find any plans for what they were intending to do with the footage. Like, you know, of course the, the ghettos were a horrible living conditions, people barely had any anything to eat, they ate le- literally anything that could have any remote nutritional value, but yet some of the film footage would like show people like eating in restaurants and like all sorts of things, and they had interviews with some of the people who were there, and... And, and I think they were like, it looked like the Nazis were trying to portray the Jews as like uncaring or something. Like they would show some of them eating in a nice restaurant and then show after that like shots of just bodies piled in the street. It's kind of creepy because it's all real footage and you're kind of wondering what they were trying to do with it, right? Yeah. Wow. But yeah, basically they forced people like, if you want to live, you're going to act in this movie. And so they would make them like do certain scenes and then show all this stuff like so it's kind of interesting because it's a documentary but it makes you wonder like what was the purpose of this film because nobody can find any like information about it uh another one i watched that was pretty cool was called the rape of europa Mm. uh and it was kind of a documentary about how art played a role in like history in hitler's plans so i mean if you watch the, the the documentary two things that like stuck out to me is like one Hitler had applied to be uh, an artist. He applied to study at some art schools, and I think he ended up getting rejected. Which mm-hmm. sort of made me wonder, like, man. Well, like, apparently he thought very highly of his art, even though real artists didn't. 
But, you know, had he been accepted, how would world history be different? That was kind of an interesting thought that came to my head. But then the I other thing... the fucking trees right! I'll kill everyone in the world! Then <laughs> that's what happens to artists. Yes. For more info on Hitler's failed artistic career... Uh, vegetarian Mr. Hitler! Uh, see Eddie Izzard's Dress to Kill. Yes. Um, Which he does half of in French. <laughs> But yeah, so apparently, like, they, at least if they're portraying things anywhere close to accurately, it makes it sound like half of, like, Hitler's scheme of, like, where he wanted to invade first and so on and so forth. Some of it was probably political, but a lot of it was centered around what country had what pieces of art that he wanted to acquire for himself. Wow. <laughs> um, but they also have some cool stuff, like, later on in there, like... You know, if once Hitler finally got around to invading France, well, you know, France was well aware of what he was doing with art and everything else, and they actually had some, like, interviews with people from the famous Louvre Museum, and how they basically, once they knew that, that Germany was going to come and occupy France, like, as soon as they found out, they had, like, safe houses, like, lined up for all the artwork in the Louvre, and they shipped it all out. <laughs> so the Louvre was, like, empty <laughs> when, when Germans marched into Paris. Nice. Including, actually, since you're mentioning Angela, remember the the part where they're like, I don't know, I think they're talking to that like shady guy, I even forget, but they had that, that winged statue that doesn't have a head? Yeah. <clears throat> uh, I think that's called the Victory statue. It's like mm -hmm. a famous, um, famous carving. And, um... Just a... They actually showed in that movie, Rape of Europa, that statue is in the Louvre. And I've actually seen it at the Louvre. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, and during World War II, when they knew that, that Hitler was going to come in and probably want all of this artwork, they moved that statue, but they had to move it down a flight of stairs. And so they interviewed some of the people who, like, did that, and they were talking about how they were all, like, just scared to death they were going to drop it mm -hmm. and, like, break this priceless statue. That statue is pretty badass, too. Yeah. So anyways, uh... I think that's going to about wrap it up for podcast, uh, Bcast episode 17. Um, you know, uh, if you listen to this episode, you should have plenty of stuff to jo go out and watch. There's a, I think we talked about about a million and a half movies, so. Yeah, see, um, yeah, see everything all from of Slash the French films. Documentary. And of course, watch Kevin Smith movies. Um, watch them both in the same night. It'll probably fuck your head over. <laughs> Watch both Kevin Smith movies. What? There's ten of them. Well, I mean, you know, pick <laughs> pick a French Nazi documentary, and then watch Mallrats. Yeah. And that you know that should be an interesting night. Watch Clerks and then, uh, you know, just try not to be Dante. <laughs> so yeah. So um, I hope you enjoyed this podcast for this week. I'm Mike. I'm Lyria. I'm Joy. See you next time.